Hello, and welcome to the Shy Gooners podcast, where we sit down with the Chicago branch of the Gooners fan base and discuss everything to do with Arsenal FC. My name is The Real Sam Crane or AFC underscore Sam Crane on Twitter if you're looking to find me. And we are launching this show with our inaugural episode, which is a little bit of a transfer roundup. So hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Chicago Gooners podcast, episode one, season one, episode one. Uh, It is great to be here. Uh, The Chicago Gooners fan base weighing in on the latest Arsenal news today for the very first episode. What better way to kick off the show than with a transfer roundup featuring the great and loyal Kale Tennyson joins us today here on the show. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. How about you, Sam? Not bad. Not bad at all. We talked a little bit about this off the air, but it has been certainly a uh, a busy 48 hours, 24 hours, however you want to break it down based on the time change here in Chicago. Interesting is the word. Let, let's just start off with a cursory thing. How are you feeling about yesterday? As far as the transfer window, I'm glad it's closed. Uh, it's never really, I think as Arsenal fans, we generally, we seem to be tortured through the transfer process. And that seems like everybody's linked with us regardless of how accurate those rumors are it just seems like it's a it's a way for the media to kind of go you know put us through a torturous process uh so first of all yes i'm glad it's over with you know as far as like how i feel about it we can go further in depth at that point in pod but i think it's very much a i think it's very much a hit or miss window i think that there's some positives we can glean from it there's also some huge disappointments in what we didn't do especially coming um in regards to the outgoings right i feel pretty much the same way i'm excited by the young players that we brought in but you're absolutely right it's a little bit disappointing that a lot of these players are leaving on loan we're gonna have to deal with another (laughs) window in january of either trying to offload them permanently or figuring out contract situations so all of that's a headache but like you said glad that it's over but before we get into all of the specifics here and there is quite a lot to get into Let's get into the season so far. And without depressing people too much, we've played three games. One of them was good. (laughs) The other two were were not so great. And if you're not familiar with the Chicago Gooners, you can catch us out at the Globe Pub every match day. And we've got some merch for sale. You can catch our members walking around with the captain's armband on if you need somebody to talk to a friend to make. But let's start with the 2-0 loss to Brentford. Holds a special place in my heart. A lot of people don't know this. I grew up in the UK right across the river from Brentford. So I I went to the the stadium as a child when they were in the fourth division or something like that. So I was hoping that they would have a good game. I wasn't quite hoping for two goals scored against the mighty Arsenal. How did you experience that game, Kale? Well, I I was actually with you at the pub, and I think we can both attest that Honestly, I felt pretty good until the first goal went in. And I think that seems to be indicative of all three matches. Uh, I think when we break them down is that I believe Brentford game, much like in in some ways the Chelsea game and the Manchester City game, we started brightly, especially considering the fact that we had uh, certain players out. But I think there was just optimism in the fact that we were going to see some young players that seemed like they were going for it. When the first goal went in, in addition to it being just it was quite uh, quite a soft goal, but when that goal went in, it's it did seem like it took a certain wind out of our sails to the point where the team never really they never came back with a with a show of 
I should have fight too much mm. after that, minus a few individual players, a few individual flourishes. Just a quick shout out to the Brentford fans. Great uh, show of support for kind of soccer when he came on um, in regards to what he um, personally dealt with after the Euro 2020 final. And to be uh, fair, so they, they showed up in force to, to the globe. There were there were a lot of Brentford fans in the pub, which I thought was great because I, I did not expect to see them that far from home. But it, it was it was it was a good environment. And to their credit, they weren't they weren't, you know, annoying about it. They were they were very classy. They were very, uh, very put together. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Definitely shout out the Brentford fans. But I, I think there's a stat and I, I don't have it on me right now, but it's something to the effect with this arts had a team that if the first goal is conceded, we more often than not are losing that game. And we're going to get into a little bit about how much of that is on Arteta in a little bit. But let's let's leave the Brentford where it is. Rough start to the season. Then we go to Chelsea and much the same story. Lukaku absolutely bullied our back line. The Chelsea players looked like they just won the Champions League and the Arsenal players looked like they just came from doing their college coursework and uh, (laughs) came out on the field. And, and rolled with uh, what they had. How did you experience that uh, Chelsea loss? Much the same, actually m- much the same as the Brentford, um, except that the capitulation was just faster. <laughs> For 12 minutes, we looked good. Uh, after the first goal, that was as good as it got, and it, it never materialized into a game where, you know, as you said, going into it, there were a lot of, most people said that it would be a surprise if we got anything from the match. I mean, we did do the double on Chelsea last year. We still, I think that was the first time since the invincible season where we did the double over Chelsea in the league. So it wasn't like, so there was, there was a a kind of a small sense of optimism. We might could get something from the game, but uh, as, as you said, the inability to really contain the back line, especially um, Pablo Mari to contain Lukaku, was just too much for for us to handle. Reese James was giving swaths of space down that flank as well. To that point, I, I, I watching the analysis of the game afterwards, I think that that was Tierney trying to cover for Marie more often than not because it, mm. physically he just couldn't stand up to the task that night. Mm. So definitely unfortunate. I mean, you, you hit all the points. I think I think that's. Uh, that's good enough, and, and we can leave it there unless you have anything more to add on Chelsea. No, other than the fact that even uh, even the penalty that sh- that was that was I think erroneously not given. And yes, at two one, um, at two one at halftime, is it a different game? Possibly. I just don't think we've seen. I think through the three games, I think it's hard to say though in retrospect that we probably would have seen any type of different result, even if the penalty had been given and been converted rather than what we saw the um i mean the possession every stat was swayed so far in chelsea's favor um that we just never really looked like getting out of even even second gear um to have forced a a draw in that yeah i i think you bring up a good point it would have been interesting to see what it looked like at 2-1 but as of right now the problem remains that we cannot score we're hoping to turn that around at norwich but the one good game that we did have this season in the cup midweek game, six, nothing against West Brom's children. Did you get a chance to watch that game? Did you watch the highlights? 
Uh, I did not get a chance to watch that. I was actually, I was working, but I've got a chance to watch just a little bit of the highlights of that. You know, that's kind of what you expect from an Arsenal, a strong Arsenal side against. It was a strong Arsenal side too. It should, you know, Obama Young was top form and Pepe starts all of that good stuff. It was, it was good. I I think that obviously we, I don't think we need caveats. We knew that it was a, a side that had just been promoted. We knew that they were giving a lot of debuts um, to U, you know U23 players and French players. But I think that we did what we were supposed to do. I mean, and if anything, it um, it was necessary. Did we need to play a strong side? Probably not. But I think at that point in the season, when you haven't scored at all, you do need to get players some some reps and give them some confidence going and into, and off the back yeah. of what you said before with the COVID outbreak it was important to get some of those players back out there and and some you know get their lungs working again because mm-hmm. uh they had been out for for a little while mm-hmm. so it was it was it was good but it was kind of like a it was expected i mean it gave you maybe a slight bit of confidence but been you know winning six nil as opposed to maybe if we'd only won one or two nil going into city but i think we all i think nobody was deluded to the fact that that there was a a massive gulf between uh west brom and what we expected to see and what we did see uh on saturday at the etihad yeah absolutely and i thought for me I was boiling angry after Brentford, after Chelsea. And that West Brom game for me just released just a little bit of the steam. And it doesn't seem like it's very important, but I think that release of that little bit of steam might have affected how I feel about uh, Arteta in versus Arteta out. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's get into Man City. Absolutely terrible performance with the Xhaka red card. And I want to read this quote just came out on Chris Wheatley's page on Twitter. Xhaka reading about his red card. Red card, brutally surprising. With the Premier League people often talking about English toughness. I hit the ball 100% and got a red. The pictures weren't checked by the VAR. I've seen tougher tackles that weren't even assessed as a foul. He goes on to talk about his contract extension. The contract extension gave me another push. I consider myself lucky with it. Besides, I'm healthy, which is the most important thing in the end. Let, I mean, obviously 5-0, a lot to talk about. But you know, much like Chelsea, for those first 12, 11 minutes, we look good. Well, seven minutes, to be exact. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yes, I think there was a there was a great ball in that Saka just I think he, he was just put off by the defender, and um, after the first goal, at a an incredibly soft goal. I don't know how. I mean, last last year, uh, a five seven Raheem Sterling got a header on our defense. This time, it's a five six Gundogan, and maybe questionable on Leno um, as far as as letting it. It sneak in and is at his back post. I'm not going to be super critical of him, but overall, in the years of watching Arsenal, and actually, if you look at the looking at the stats from uh, from the City match, it's I think that's arguably one of the worst, if not the worst, performance I've ever seen from an Arsenal team in the yeah, Premier League. And to be fair, we were very lucky for it to be five nothing, uh, and I think that's maybe part of the reason why you're you're going to be give Leno a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because that really could have been seven eight. If Leno wasn't between those sticks, exactly. He did say he did he did prevent the scoreline from reaching comical levels 
uh, that would have matched our uh, the rest of the statistical performance. 80-20 possession in City's favor, 25-1 to shot differential uh, between the two clubs. I mean, in retrospect, that was, of course, Saturday was also the 10th anniversary of the 8-2 at Old Trafford, which a lot of people were kind of fearing, you know, going up to another Manchester team. Which, it should be noted, also instigated sort of a panic transfer window that year, in which we brought in Mikel Arteta. The irony, the irony of that, <laughs> yes. Um, but even in, the, even in that match, we were not, the possession stats were not as skewed. The shots were they had 25 shots. Interesting enough, United had exactly 25 shots on that day too. Uh, but we had 20 shots. You know, it was not as one-way traffic. In in retrospect, it's probably will always go down as kind of just a, a just a weird freak occurrence. Right. Were they better than us on the day? Absolutely. It, it, it but, but well, they also had one one extra man towards <laughs> towards yeah. the end. So I, I think that is part of the reason where we take it with that little grain of salt. And also they're the league champions. And uh, we are in this transition period where we are not close to that level right now. That's just the reality. Unfortunately. Yes. And, and just really quick on the, on the Granite Jaka did, uh, did I think it was a red card? No, I didn't think it was yeah. a red card, but I, I feel that the opinions on this, even amongst Arsenal fans really um, are dictated by the player itself himself. I think that a lot of people have just been swayed in one way or another um, about Granite Xhaka. And there seems to be camps that are saying, oh, it was absolutely a red card or no, it wasn't a red card. And it seems to be, um, it does seem to be very dependent on what you think of the player. I, as someone who is disappointed that, that Xhaka is still here, I, I, I still have, sympathy with him at least in this regard and i think he does have some validity when it comes to how he i mean if that's i mean there's been a lot of talk about arsenal not being brave enough especially in the last you know these three matches mm -hmm. uh i think he he did go in strong on a 50 50 ball he did get the ball i think Cancelo also made the most of the challenge in launching himself in the air like a dead salmon <laughs> but um but i think that there's it it just speaks more to how the fan base and how the media uh perceive granite Xhaka more so than the specific incident itself that wouldn't have made a difference and and overall i think the officiating was was pretty was was very poor in the match but i don't think you can use that as an excuse to the when you're assessing how right. how poorly we were set up to, to set up to perform in that match right. and 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 what the result and the performance you know illustrated and i uh, i want to ask you this question really quick before we move on um as far as Jaka, we saw this a little bit with david louise uh, especially in the last season david louise has this presence this this um persona and it's almost it's acted on by the media. It's acted on by, you know, all of the news outlets. But we also see it happening to the refs and that the refs don't give David Luiz the benefit of the doubt because he's David Luiz. Uh, I've heard commentators describe him as master of the dark arts. And, you know, going back to Wenger, he criticized Xhaka's sort of aggressive tackling technique. And certainly Xhaka is, uh, is want to, to get a yellow. Uh, if not a red, uh, do you feel that Xhaka is developing sort of that same persona where the refs give him a little less leeway based on who he is? I think it's fair. I mean, I, the one thing I noticed initially 
if you look at the replay, initially Martin, Martin Atkinson seems to be reaching into his right pocket for a yellow card. For the yellow, yes. And then ch- literally changes his mind, puts it back in, and goes to the left pocket for the red. I do believe, I, I think that this happens in, in all sports. It's not just specific to, to soccer. I mean, Michael Jordan never got called for traveling. <laughs> um, you know, there's, I think that the, he does have this reputation now. I, I'm just glad he didn't choke somebody out, uh, which would, would, <laughs> would have been indefensible. Right. Um, I'm also a little disturbed that, that nobody from the Arsenal squad actually got hit, you know, came in between when the red card was brandished, uh, brandished. I, I'm kind of disappointed that nobody from the Arsenal team, knowing what we know about Grant Xhaka, kind of got him out of there before he made it even worse. I mean, thankfully, it, it, he didn't get overly, he did not get overly uh, animated mm-hmm. that could have or raised his hand to anyone, whether it's a city player or an official that could have made it worse. But yeah, I think that there's a, there definitely is a, uh, is a is a certain level of um, leeway that is not given to him. That's that's o- often given to other players. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Word. Okay. And then moving on, really quick, one sentence on how you're feeling going into the Norwich game, knowing that we won't have Jaka in midfield. We may potentially have Partey back. We may be looking at some of these uh, new incomings starting that game. One sentence on how you feel ahead of Norwich City. I am anxious. <laughs> uh, I think so much is so much about this, as you said. I think most people did not expect us to get anything uh, from Chelsea or or City, or at most probably maybe nicking a point. I think uh, most of us, especially when we saw the um, the Brentford result, at that point we pretty much said it. We're probably going in with zero to the first international break with zero points. I don't think that. I think based upon that, based on the fact that we have not scored a goal, we haven't really looked like we have we would look much like scoring a goal. I don't think there's, I think it's, it's not like, Oh, we just need a, a, a softer opponent for us to, to be able to actually start putting right. uh, the ball in the back of the net. And I think that's, what's got us anxious. We could, I mean, we definitely could go in and score three, four on Norwich maybe. And, and, and even then I, I, it's going to take more than one game. Right. Uh, right now, I, I'm kind of like just we just need three points. I, I honestly yeah. don't care how we get it. Uh, and I think if you look at both attack and defense, which I think that's been the that's been what's really that's what's really disquieting about the first three games is how defensive we have how we played defensively. Right. Considering that's kind of been what Arteta has actually gotten out of his out of the players, you know, he, the right. defensive solidity has actually not been the issue uh, in the last, in the, during the Arteta reign, it's been pretty much the, the attack. The fact that the defense has now become so frail, that's what's really concerning. So how we get points against the likes of Norwich and Burnley at this point, I, I, I don't expect us to go out and play scintillating football. I, I'm, I just like, it. we just need a win. Yeah. So that's kind of how I feel going into Norwich. Um, I think I think anxious is the word. I think uh, I think there are real questions, right? I mean, based on the the fixtures that we've had already, the way that we've played, it, we haven't even drawn blood. Sometimes no shots on target. These sorts of things, and they raise real questions about, like what you said, what how Arteta is putting out the team. So that brings us to our next point: Arteta in versus Arteta out. I think for me, I was very Arteta in because. There's, it's an unprecedented window. You can say for until the cows come home that 
he hasn't, you know, uh, been back maybe, uh, that he's had three windows and he hasn't done anything. In my opinion, he's had just this last window. And I say that because those two windows before were completely unprecedented with COVID. We saw lots of loans. We saw lots of budget restrictions. Lots of people, you know, from other clubs, especially on the continent, not buying players. Like, you know, if everything had gone right, no COVID, Kolasinac would have joined some club in Turkey a year and a half ago. That's my opinion. So I was very Arteta in on that aspect. Going into after Brentford and Chelsea, I was very Arteta out. And it was because of the way that we played. Like you said, very defensive, not passing side to side. I saw somebody on Twitter today describe it as passing side to side for 20 minutes and then conceding a silly goal and losing the game. And that stat sticks out. And we talked about already that once that first goal goes in, we don't usually recover from that. So I was very Arteta out. And that, and I mentioned it before, that 6-0 at West Brom released just that little bit of steam because I knew that we were going into the international break with zero points. Everybody knows that we're not on the level of City, but having that ability to see that an Arteta team can blow somebody out was like, okay, maybe maybe we'll give them Norwich. You know, at least that's how I feel on it. How are you feeling on Arteta in versus Arteta out? Obviously, obviously, as a as an Arsenal fan, I want us to win every match. So there's, I mean, I want him to succeed. The way that, as as I as we've spoken the uh, in the last segment, the I mean, the way that we have played, the the regression we've seen in defense, had it come at the expense of more penetration, uh, more more of a uh, a positive on attacking I, I think we could have at least gotten at least had some mitigated circumstances on okay well we're going to we might leak more goals because we're putting more pressure on our uh, you know our back four or maybe back five has to they they have to compensate more because we're we're actually trying to we're, we're moving more players up the pitch into into more dangerous areas in the opponent's final third uh, if we had been, if we had scored a goal <laughs> or a couple of goals, uh, or we had seen possession or our ch- our chances dictated, uh, dictating the game, I think that could be absolved to an extent. The fact that neither are happen- happening, um, the fact of how seemingly there's not a lot of rationale to a lot of his lineup choices, especially in the last two games maybe not so much Brentford which he was his hand was kind of forced but the choice of the choices of Kolasinac in the last match he basically we were trying to get rid of him um this whole last window he could have played here in tyranny with Tavares who's who is very young very green but is at least he he trusted him at least in the Brentford match to come on right. as a right back instead of a left back once again why he does. He does seem to be doing that a lot, as far as Nuno yeah. is concerned, as well. It, but I agree with you. I, I think it does get a little bit uh, galaxy brained from Mikel at yeah. times. All right. So what? So in in a word, in a word, Arteta in, Arteta out. He's probably operating on basically a. Let's see how we do to the next window. Right. Yeah. You gotta. You gotta I get off the fence. Didn't... You gotta get off the fence, man. In, in or out. I, I'm I'm thinking he would. I, I don't think he's going to make it to the end of the season. This seems to be the uh, the belief of a lot of people who are close to Arsenal that they probably will not make a change until 
Christmas at least time. November. Oh, to at least yeah. November. Well, November probably. That would be the third international break. Yeah, if it's, that's if around, it's still really bad. That's that's around the time of also when Unai Emery was sacked. Uh, it was what, late November, early December. Right. Um, that's probably more likely than uh, October. I agree. So let's go forward here. We've got merch, Kale. We've got lots of merch. Uh, we have merch. And I want to plug it uh, a little bit. You can catch us out at the Globe Pub every match day. You can find Kale walking around with the captain's armband, Lauren walking around with the captain's armband. Uh, come make a friend. Talk to us. We have masks for sale. We have scarves on the way. Kale, am I correct on that one? That is true. We actually have our 2021-2022 uh, our, our merch pack is up online at chicagogooners.com. Awesome. It, it is $30. With that, you get a scarf, a really cool sticker drawn by poorly drawn Arsenal. It's a uh, it, it highlights our uh, our own starboy, Bakayu Saka, in a unique Chicago themed. I like to call it. I like to call it the city of Bukayo flag, as it, it would. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> uh, I think that's regardless of. Uh, I think that's some, he's someone we can all get behind. So uh, that's uh, it. Was it was kudos to poorly drawn Arsenal for reaching out to us, uh, and we we've had communication with him in the past, agreeing to do this for us. There's a drawstring backpack also included in that package. There is a home and away version of this. The price is the same. Uh, if you select the home, uh, these are for people who live in or around the Chicagoland area. You can uh, pick it up at the Globe during matches. Uh, that will give you access to a private event that we're going to have later in the year. We'll have more details about that as it comes. But the, for those who don't who don't live in Chicago, you can select the away version, and that thirty dollars includes your shipping. There will be no extra shipping cost, and we'll ship it to anywhere in the uh, in the United States. So, uh, home for those who want to pick it up in Chicago, and away for those who need it shipped. Awesome, and those are available on ChicagoGooners.com, correct? That is correct. Uh, we did have a little bit of delay with the scars. We were hoping to get them by the city match. They are delayed. We're going to update the. Uh, we will update the website with a more respectable or a more you know an, an expe- a new expected date for when those will be going out. Great. So go get your merch. Find us in the pub. No matter what, we are down uh, and happy, smiling faces. Uh, so come, come make a friend. Uh, come get a scarf. It's going to get cold in the city, and you are going to want all of that merch. Uh, especially the uh, poorly drawn Arsenal merch, which I think is absolutely fantastic. So now we get to the meat and potatoes of the show. We are moving into our transfer segment. We've talked about the season. We've talked about Arteta in versus Arteta out, but let's assess what happened in these crazy, crazy 24 hours that we've had here. And I've got, let's start with the incomings. I've got the Charles Watts tweet in front of me. Shout out to Charles Watts, one of the greatest uh, journalists covering the mighty arsenal. We've got Ramsdale, Aaron Ramsdale in for 24 million. Albert Sambi Lakonga in for 15 million. White in for 50 million. Odegaard, who was here before, now a permanent deal, 30 million. Tavares coming in from Benfica for eight million, and the latest deadline day big grab Takahiro Tomiyasu for sixteen million from Bologna. Let's do it like this: Which signing is going to have the biggest impact? Number one. Which signing are you least sure about? And out of one hundred and fifty million spent, do you think it was spent wisely? Let's start there. So, player, I think that will have that will have. The most impact, I'm going to say 
probably, I might go with Sambi Lakonga. Yeah. And the reason why, I don't think he will necessarily be the, I, I think in a weird way, I, I mean, maybe this speaks to my uh, reticence on how well the season's going to go. You know, I think that probably for Arsenal to have a great or respect, you know, a season where we actually maybe achieve or overachieve, uh, it would probably be Ben White or Mark Modicar, who I, I definitely rate highly. But I think with Brandon Jacques now being out three games, even, w- even with a, with him being resigned, um, I think Sammy Lakonga's early looks, his the way that he seems to want to progress the ball, right. the way that he can possibly, if, if there is a link between him and Thomas Partey where they can work they dovetail well together. I just have a feeling that 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 might be one of those signings where we've uncovered someone, right. one of those old diamond in the roughs. That it does it does players. feel like a bargain, given that it's only fifteen million pounds. And you're absolutely right. Played fantastic against Brentford. Played quite well against Chelsea, I believe, and yes. and, did, and did well did well at West Brom where he played. But uh, I don't believe he played in the Man City match. He didn't. Yes, he did not play in the Man City match. Even with uh, Xhaka being sent off, he, we 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 went a different route with that match. But I uh, uh, I, I absolutely yeah. agree. Lakanga is fantastic for me. I think the the player I would also have picked Lakanga, but actually the player that I didn't expect to like when we were linked to him, but I think will actually end up having the biggest impact is Aaron Ramsdale, and it's because. Leno, fantastic shot stopper that he is, is not the best distributor. And it has put, I would argue, some of the mistakes that Xhaka made last year were on Leno uh, as much as they were on Xhaka. And having somebody who can really distribute, and he, and he showed it quite well against West Brom. So my money's on Aaron Ramsdale. From there, what, which one do you think will have the least impact? Well, first off, I, I actually almost considered Ramsdale. I think that I pr- almost expect him to be the number one by right. the end of the season. Yeah. Um, as as somebody said, as as somebody said uh, after the city match, it doesn't even appear that that Burton Leno wants to play the short game anymore. And I don't think that Arteta has all of a sudden decided I'm going to kick it long. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that Leno is just he's doing this just out of his own comfort level. I don't think that's going to keep him between the sticks for much longer, regardless of how good of a shot stopper he is, which I, I do agree with you on that point. As far as the one I'm a little bit nervous about, or I, I, I kind of have questions about, it might be just maybe the price tag on Ben White is right. uh, is definitely concerning. I'm trying to think along the lines. I, he kind of just, the age profile, the potential that we're, that has been bandied around and kind of the a little bit of a shaky outing against Brentford kind of it, it gives me kind of a John Stones feel when he came yes. to City uh who when he came at the time he was the second most expensive defender ever and he did struggle that first year at City but like very yeah. much so and mm-hmm. it kind of thinks that I, I don't think he will necessarily I mean and, and let's Let's be fair to John Stones. Turned out to be he's turned out to be a very very solid defender. He's won three Premier League titles, been influential in in at least two of those. But it was a very and I, I kind of feel that about Ben White. This first season might be a little tougher on him, especially with the well. It doesn't help to have COVID too. I mean, there it doesn't. There's that. There there is that, and and I'll give that the I'm, and I'll give. I mean, that's that's no reflection on him as a as a player. But there's going to be a lot. He has a lot 
of weight being put on him, probably unfairly considering the defense he's being dropped into in front of a keeper that, as we just said, right. in Burton Leno, that who probably is looking at he's looking at a post Arsenal career. So um, I, I think it's it could be a rough first season for him, or at least it won't be indicative. His performances probably may not be indicative of a of a fifty million pound yeah. player. And I uh, and we'll get into sort of the overall idea of the the incomings here in a second. But I think for me, I don't know how many people out there have uh, sat down and watched many Bologna games, uh, but I am a bit nervous about Tomiyasu. And without being too funny about it, Japanese player playing in the Italian league managed to get on the Arsenal socials yesterday to to give a message to the fans. The English did not necessarily sound great. And I'm worried, nervous a little bit that it will take him some time to gel. And Charles Watts actually points this out in the rest of the tweet. Impossible to really rate the window now. Could be two years until we know if most of them are decent signings or not. And I think that that is an interesting point to make, especially given what we talked about with Arteta in versus Arteta out. How much time does he have to see this come to fruition? It seemed like for me... These were signings for the future, but they're going to pay off for a different manager. And it'll be worth maybe, you know, taking a look at the Chelsea situation now. I think it was similar with Lampard. So I thought that was an interesting point. But moving on from there, the entire window, $150 million spent. And for a team that we've already said can't score goals, I, I think I absolutely agree with you on Ben White. $50 million is a bit much considering our lack of ability to score goals. And you're looking at the profile here. Nuno Tavares is probably a better attacking right or wing back than he is a defender. Odegaard is really the only attacking player that we've signed this window. And he was here before. So for me, 150 million spent, maybe the most, I think, in the Premier League, this transfer window. It is. Uh, And I don't know that it was spent the right way. I mean, looking at these six incomings, maybe Tomiyasu breaks the starting 11 with Hector leaving, but I I do think the communication is going to take some time. And, you know, most of these guys are are backups. Uh, I think White, Tomiyasu, and Odegaard are really the only ones that change the starting 11. And, And we can talk about Ramsdale might be the number one by the end of the season, but that's sort of how I feel about it. How are you feeling about the 150 million? And how it's spent. Yes, it's it's definitely a lot of money. You know, I do feel like we at least went into this with a strategy of youth or, or younger, play, maybe not like completely green players, but players that are in the 21-24 ratio. In fact, I think 23 is the oldest uh, of this group that actually that was actually purchased uh, this window. But I, it seems like it was future-proofed. For any manager, I think that the um, the talent that that's here is something that that I think can be built upon with the right manager. Is it going to be good enough, like you said, to make an immediate impact? Especially, uh, you know, if you look at you know our our weaknesses last year in scoring goals. You're right. Uh, the I mean, Martin Odegaard was the only like true like attacking player that that was bought in this window. And, I, and as much as I rate him, he's not really a goal scorer. 
Right. He did score a couple of goals with us um, in, I think, consecutive matches last year before he had that injury on international break. Which in, I think including one against Tottenham, which we which we value well, highly, we, by the we way. We loved, and of course, that, that you know, he's, he, he was automatically a legend after that. I think I think with him it would it's going to be more about how he influences and dictates the game. He was probably the most influential player in that comeback against West Ham when we went down three nil. Yes, um, overall, that was probably his best game in an Arsenal shirt. So I, I have some hope on that. But yes, I I think that looking at this, looking at these incomings, we probably will not know how good this window is for at most probably a year or two. I don't, I don't think we'll really know how, how good it is. This is probably going to be at least a year or two before we find out um, if this, if this window was worth the 150 million that we we've spent. Absolutely. In one letter grade, how are you grading it right now? And I know we just said that it's impossible to grade right now, but I'm going to make you do it anyways. Okay. I know. Uh, well, I, I've thought about this more than I have the Arteta out. It's, it's, I'm, I'm more, I, I have more of a concrete opinion on it. I, I did drop it though a little bit uh, after the brief talk. I'll give the incomings a B. I think that at least, like I said, there is a strategy here. I think it's a really strong strategy. I think by the fact that I've said, I think Lakonga is going to be a, I, I really feel that that could be a, a diamond in the rough that we've uncovered. I, I think we're going to see. I think that that also gives me some hope that this is actually going to turn out to be fine. The big question, of course, is how is is the fact that the probably only half of these at best are probably going to work out at all. Or if they do, they may not. We may not reap any benefits for another year or two. Which yeah. at that point, we're probably going to have a different manager. Will we have gotten back into Europe? I don't know. Who it's knows? um it's early days, but that's that's why I think I'm I still have to be a little reticent on giving anything more than a B on. I'm going to give it a B minus, and I'm going to give it a B minus. Only that that slight dock, because when we talk about backing a manager, I think you're absolutely right that this was a team that was built for the future. I don't think this window backed Mikel Arteta. I think this window backed Arsenal for the future. And I think given the business that was done, it seems like they've already given up. And if that is the case, then I don't know why you wouldn't change managers right now while we're on the international break. And uh, I hope it works out. I hope uh, Mikel writes the ship and he's able to stick around for a season, a season and a half to see these players really come into their primes together. But I'm going to give it that B minus because I feel like when we talk about backing the manager, you backed the club for the future. I don't know that you backed the manager for right now. And when you look at some of the other business, you can say that they didn't spend as much. But Jaden Sancho coming in, Ronaldo coming in, Lukaku coming in at Chelsea. Those are signings of intent. Those are signings of let us, you know, Manu was in second place last year. Let us go win the league. That's what those signings say. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Chelsea. They won the Champions League last year. Let's go win the league. Let's bring Lukaku in. And those are statements of intent. I don't know that we had that statement of intent. And you could say it was Ben White, but for a team that can't score, that doesn't seem like the statement of intent that we needed. Anyways. Let's move on to the outgoings. And there's quite a few, mostly loans, but let's talk about the permanence. Uh, first off, uh, Charles Watts includes Louise and Mustafi, which, yes, I guess they were technically released this window. So that is good. Willick going to Newcastle for $25 million, I think, was a good bit of business. Unfortunate for Joe, uh, who I actually really liked. And then a couple of loans with options to buy. Mavropanos 
a loan with an option to buy should get some money for the next window. Terrera, same thing. Guendouzi, same thing to Marseille. Saliba going on loan to Marseille, but uh, no option to buy there, which is good. But we can go, you know, we could talk for an entirely different podcast about uh, the Saliba situation. So we won't get into that. William doing the club a solid, tearing up the contract, saving everybody 20 to 25 million to go back to Corinthians. So given how terrible that transfer was for everybody involved, uh, it was nice to see him do the right thing. Uh, Reese Nelson going to get some playing time in Fanord on loan on deadline day. Alex Runerson who nobody has ever liked, going on loan. And tears in my eyes, Hector Bellerin leaving on loan to Real Betis and obviously hasn't performed to the level that Heck has been at uh, for mostly his whole career since the injury. But sad to see him go because top top guy, you know, great off the pitch as well as on the pitch and, and Arsenal through and through. So with the outgoings, let's talk about which one you were happiest to see leave and which one you were saddest to see leave. Well, if you're not if you're not happy to see William go, I don't know why you're <laughs> a fan. Um, you know, not notwithstanding the Chelsea connection, um, just this has to go down as one of the worst deals that that Arsenal have ever done. Even even regardless of the fact that there was no transfer fee, if what we are seeing in the press is is actually true that this saves us the money that this saves us is in the twenty million range, that means that this is a player that was on almost two hundred thousand a week, yeah. and we had signed him for three years to as a thirty two year old. So definitely, just I don't care how it happened. Just the fact that he's off the books is absolutely the the best thing that could have happened as far as yeah. outgoings obviously Hector about for me um Hector Bellerin going even with him being in a uh unfortunately in a little bit of a decline I think because of the injury and maybe other other factors in fact the guy's been playing it since he was 19 he's got a lot of miles on his legs and maybe just doesn't quite have the pace that he used to still such a stand-up guy a great representative for Arsenal he's never been captain but he he was the one that the club trusted during negotiations for COVID rather than Pierre Mkobamiang to represent the club. What he's done through social media and his um, and his environmental humanitarian work that he does, he's a great representative for Arsenal as a club, uh, right. not just as a football team. So it should it should be noted that uh, the Bellerin deal was a loan with no option to buy. So it, uh, I hold out just a bit of hope that maybe he can recover some of the form that we've seen from Heck throughout the years. And uh, he can come back to Arsenal, maybe with one more season in his legs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would be nice for me, Mm -hmm. uh, I think. I would, I would too. We've had too many instances of players that obviously Santa Gazorla comes to mind that were huge fan favorites that never really got um, proper goodbyes. I think, uh, I think Thomas Rosicki also, I think got injured. I think yep. his last season, he never got and a poor, poor Aaron Ramsey as well. Same deal. Aaron Ramsey never got a proper send off. I mean, yes, they got to go around the pitch and, you know, like yeah. wave their hand, but never, never. It's not the same when they're in the suit. You think going out on your shield, I think it's something that, especially when you're that loyal to the club for that many years is, is worth doing. Exactly. So, uh, so yes, definitely sad to see him go, but also kind of happy for him. I know it's probably a bit of sweet, but he, I know he wanted to play. I, there was some, some of the, the way that the club kind of treated his situation, depending on what you, what, what you believe coming out of people in the, you know, that are close to the club, it was a bit contentious and yeah. might probably was not the best look for the club. So I'm, I'm glad he's getting a chance to go play back home and um, I hope he does well. 
Yeah, I think for me, uh, given that you've uh, you've spoken on William, and I agree with you on every point you made there. For me, the the happiest player that I'm really happy is leaving is Matteo Guendouzi, and mm-hmm. it is alone with an option to buy for Marseille, and I uh, I hope they take that option because a troubled individual who showed some promise, but I think more often than not played the role of antagonist on a team that probably didn't need anybody poking the bear. So good to see Guendouzi go. I fully agree with you on Bellerin that that is is sad to see them go. Uh, I think for me, and without getting too much into it, the the Saliba loan does make me a bit sad. I don't know where the where the direction is there, and and we can talk in detail about that in a later episode. But those for me are my happiest and and saddest outgoings. Let's grade just the outgoing. What are you giving the outgoings? This is obviously tempered by the the ongoing pandemic and but the outgoings that we made the fact that they are, that we are cutting loose deadwood people that don't have most who do not have a have a future at this club um is good but the fact that we could not we couldn't generate anything more really than a sale for joe willick this is a C in my book. Um, yeah. There's just, uh, and this, like you said, the Saliba loan does does factor into that because I, I, you have to question why we're letting a guy go on loan again, who we paid twenty north of twenty million, twenty five million for, yeah. that we deem not good enough to play for this club who has leaked in nine goals in their first three matches. Yeah. That's also that is also questionable. So good work getting some of this dead wood out. Some of it I know we couldn't generate more than loans because of the because of the you know the environment. But I think overall you you still have to grade what you see, and it, it, it's a it's a C, I yeah. think in my book. I think I think I would give it just a, a bit higher. I would give it a C plus, given that some of these loans do come with options to buy. I believe the Terrero will be picked up. I believe the Gunduzi will be picked up. We're signing Nelson to a one-year extension and then letting him go on loan, I think is great business. Having Bellerin come back, I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, you kick the can down the road a little bit. So that's why it's in the C range. But I think, you know, there are some big wins here. I think 25 million for Joe Willick is actually a big win. You can argue that you might want to sell him for more considering Dan James went for 30, but you know, Newcastle is, is hamstrung too. And and I think that that was the club that was best for Joe. So I can't be mad there, but I think it's a huge, the only reason I give it a plus is exactly everything you said about William. If we're able to sell or save 20 million for the next window, that almost feels like a sale to me, Mm -hmm. uh, even though Mm -hmm. there was nothing there. So I, I would give it a C plus, but I agree with you there. So moving on here, we did have some drama on the uh, deadline day, primarily with Ainsley Maitland-Niles, where if you follow me on social media at AFC Sam Crane, that is my avatar. And I love Ainsley. Uh, He is my guy. And he did not do himself any favors for my Twitter when he decided to post on his Instagram that he just wants to go somewhere where he is wanted and will play. Apparently, clear the air talks did happen with Mikel and Amen, and they were able to, to solidify that he was not going to Everton, and he is going to stay at Arsenal and be a part of the long-term plan. How did you react to the, the Amen drama? Well, it was not a good look for either of the two. It also, once more information came out about the deal, I think that 
there was more sympathy toward the club because it, it was just a crap deal. Nobody is going to sign off on a two-year loan. Yes, sometimes we have back-to-back one years, but nobody's going to sign off on a two-year loan for, for a player. I, I, I don't, I've never seen that. Uh, it may have happened, but we're not going to do that at Arsenal. But I get the frustration. I also, I, I'm I'm glad that he is staying because, like you said, we still have two, even with Takahiro coming in, we still have two very underwhelming backup options at right back, especially yeah. now that Henry Bellman is gone. So we definitely, he is somebody that could play a role in that. And it, it should be noted that also AFCON, uh, the African Cup of Nations, happens this year and, and likely sort of in the middle of the season when we may need them the most, we are going to lose Partey. We will lose uh, Aubameyang mm-hmm. and potentially Pepe as well. So yes. um, I think, especially with the loss of Partey in that slot, I agree with you that he he's got a role to play at right back, potentially even at left back, where Arsene Wenger played him quite a bit. But also moving into that center midfield role, not as a center attacking midfield role, which is what he played at West Brom, which I thought was a complete mistake. Uh, mm-hmm. But in a center holding midfield role, I think he's got the defensive ability. He's got the speed. He's got the legs. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that that comes to fruition for him. But like you said, a, a terrible look <laughs> 24 hours before the deadline to be uh, to be causing issues. Mm-hmm. And I don't and I'm first off, I, I'm glad that they they've had clear cleared the air. I guess I'm still a little skeptical about like what when that, when i hear that he's in arteta's plans this sounds familiar to what we heard last year after the after we won the fa cup when he was very influential in that fa cup run mm-hmm. and then didn't really feature that much and ended up so much so that he went on loan to west brom for the second half of the season so i think last year it was a situation of he was being valued all of a sudden around 20 something million but we thought maybe we would have maybe we thought you know, with his use as a wingback, he would be more useful going into the the subsequent season. I still have a lot of skepticism of 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 if we're really just going to be back in this situation in January, and that that's less. And that personally is less on the player and more on Mikel Arteta. Yeah, will he play him? Will he play him? And how will he play? Yeah. I think we're going to find out sort of over the next uh, few games here. So uh, with that being said, let's talk about the whole window. We graded the incomings. We graded the outgoings. Let's grade the whole window before we go into Edu. Oh, great. (laughs) So I'll give it a B minus. I think I'm just going to split the difference there. And there's a lot, like we said, there's a lot of positivity with the players we've got, the fact that we finally seem to have a clear objective in what we're doing. I think time will tell if the objective can be correct, but did we get the right players? Right. Did we get the right players for this manager? Or is it a situation where we got the right players for any manager? Is right. that what we were trying to do here? I think I'm not saying that we got the players that Mikhail, did not get the players that Mikel Arteta wanted, but I think there definitely probably were some mitigating factors on why we went with these players, that they are players that probably can be molded by someone other than Arteta himself. And then, of course, the the outgoings, 
it's great to clear the dead wood. I didn't even completely forgot about Mavropanos. Um, <laughs> good luck to him. I, I know there's a lot of people that really rate him and just feel he's got he has not got a fair shake at Arsenal. But there's a lot of players, Ganduzi and William, of course, that it's good that we got off the books. But there is a remit though for technical directors and people on the transfer end to be able to find a way to lower that net transfer budget. And right. we are not a club that is bankrolled by a nation state or an oligarch. And we just shelled out a lot of money for six players and got for the better part of minus a few here, there 20 million in return. Yep. That's not going to, that's not going to be enough going forward. We have to generate better sales going forward to be able to balance things out. Unless there is a rare uh, and unexpected influx of cash from the Cronkies. Yeah, I think uh, I totally agree with that and uh, sort of crossing our fingers that uh, COVID uh, doesn't come back with a second wave to put another damper on the market. I'm thinking, you know, if you can get some fans back in the stands, especially in France, especially in Spain, that a couple of these deals that ended up being loans this season would be more permanent uh, moving forward. I, I agree with you. I, I think B minus is is right where it is. I think you 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 hit the nail on the head as far as they're sort of hedging their bets on on Arteta versus a new manager. So I'll leave it there. Last topic to talk about here on the podcast today is Adu's performance because Adu is responsible for for all of this business. This is this is his job, and much like Arteta. He was new to this football director role. So we talked about Arteta in versus Arteta out. Are you a do in or are you a do out? I think that Edu is probably, I think he's on shakier ground than people think he is. And I'm personally would not be shedding tears if he goes. Thank you for your service. People make a big deal about Arteta as far as like him being like a captain and a kind of a Maybe not a club legend, but he was very popular to play when he was here. Edu was an invincible. Right. He was part of that invincible team. He's actually got more of a history with, with a successful Arsenal than Mikel Arteta ever did. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and he hasn't really at times he's it seems that he's he he's been lacking in either focus or really knowledge of how to, you know, how to best build this squad he's got obviously he has some questionable <laughs> or some of his friends have um <laughs> you know had seemed to put undue influence on some of the transfers we have made they they don't seem to know any longer be doing that but it's definitely something that's going to that gives one pause in seeing him continue as the technical director i think that i think the question with both him and arteta is where do you go if you let both of them go like who right. who jumps right. in to fill those roles? Do we want to have a situation where you know Arteta is fired, much like Unai Emery was, and you have Freddie Umberg and Mika, I mean, and Per Mertesacker being <laughs> the only coaches on the bench for a match? Yeah. Um. So, and has that even been thought of? If we really are considering possibly a managerial change or a technical director change, for that matter, yeah. who steps into those? Who steps into those roles? And if we do go Arteta, if we do replace either of them, especially uh, especially Edu, we can't wait till we fire Mikel Arteta in November, going into the window, and then let both of them go and try to replace both of them. Yeah, I personally think it's going to be one or the other, and it might have to be. It might be a situation where if we think both of them need to go, or that they they have not 
that they haven't performed up to their task. I don't know if we'll, we'll let both of them go at the same time. I think yeah. we're probably a situation where if results don't improve, Arteta will be the one to go. Edu will probably see out the season and we might make a change in the summer. I think you make a really great point there, which is that seeing both of them go at the same time would be pretty disastrous. Given the amount of changes that have happened at the top level of the club over the past two seasons, I think that's absolutely uh, a good point. For me, this was not enough from from Edu. This was not, well, I mean, I talked about the signings of intent. We didn't see those this window. A big deal was made about his connections in Brazil. We didn't see that this window. We saw a lot of holiday photos with uh, Kia Jerubjian, who is the agent for William. That didn't make me feel great. You know, I, it's fine to go on holiday with your friend, posting about it, especially when there's a job to do. Not the smartest thing in the world, my guy. And I, I fully agree with you. They can't both go at the same time. So I think that the window is shown, and I don't know if this is Adu's intent versus the Cronkies' intent, but it's shown that they're hedging their bets on Arteta. If you're hedging your bets on Arteta, then Adu should be gone today, in my mind. I don't think that his business has been good enough to warrant him going again in January. You can talk about the finances. Maybe it makes sense to let him see out the season. For me, I don't feel that he's warranted that. You know, if if I was the Crockies and he was my employee, he spent a lot of money. And I don't know that. I mean, we'll see how it shakes out. But I don't know that it's getting us much higher on the table than our eighth place finish last year. So that is my that is my thought process on a do. I fully agree with you that they can't both go at the same time. That would be disastrous. And I think if anybody has to go, Adu should go first and soon for me. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's probably going to be in the opposite. I think that Arteta will. I, I think like if I stick with my preseason prediction that we will finish sixth, but without Mikel Arteta, I think that's still safe to say that it's probably not enough to let's say hypothetically speaking, results don't immediately improve. We replace Arteta and still finish sixth. I still don't know if that's enough to save Edo's job, even if it turns out that the signings worked. I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks there's there's a little too much, not really damage, but there's definitely been decision-making that's already been done. The fact that it, it got to this position already, right. especially if the fact that we've not been able to move out the dead, like the dead would, you know, outside of loans, that's on, that's all on the technical director. Yeah. Um, and he's the one that hires Mikel Arteta too. Right. So I think that there's, I think there might be just too much water on the bridge, um, but I don't think that they would let them both. I, I would be, I would be shocked to see them both go within a month or two of each other or simultaneously. I think that they will let one of them will stay. I think that it would be Arteta would be the first to go. Fair enough. The the company line from Arsenal this window has been judge us at the end of the window. And that is why we did this podcast today. At the end of the window, Adu, Cronkies, Arteta, consider yourselves judged by the Chicago Gooners. That is the end of our podcast today. Huge thank you to Kale for coming on and sharing his opinions. You can catch us once again at the Globe Pub on Irving Park Road for match days. Find us walking around the bar with the captain's armband on if you're looking for a friend. The merch is for sale on chicagogooners.com. Please give us a follow if you're listening. If you got all the way to the end, definitely give us a follow on at Chicago Gooners on Twitter. You can follow me everywhere at the real Sam Crane, or if you're looking for soccer stuff, 
at AFC Sam Crane on Twitter. Kale, where can they find you online? I am at baby underscore Kale. That's C-A-L-E, not like the vegetable. Uh, <laughs> on Instagram, that's the best way to find me. There's not just stuff about Arsenal, but also mostly urban photography here in Chicago. Lots of food pics, travel pics, and I'll try not to. I try not to put anything too depressive about uh, the state of our club. So <laughs> usually it's the usually I limit it to the happy things, and hopefully. Hopefully there will be a gangway shot uh, soon enough. Those of you who've been the uh, to the globe know that's our that's our calling card. Whenever we win, we want to see that gangway full where you can barely see the light coming through <laughs> the build th- through that little crack between the two buildings. That's how many that's how many people we want to see uh, on a Saturday or Sunday when we finally actually this Saturday uh, this uh, Saturday two Saturdays from now when we beat Norwich. Yeah, absolutely. So that is the end of this first episode. A lot to come this season. We will hopefully have some people on to talk about the Arsenal women's team, who is doing absolutely fantastic, by the way. 3-0 yesterday. 3-0 yesterday. Wow, what a performance. And and we will talk about all of that. We will try to get at least one episode of this podcast out to you guys a month. Huge thank you for listening. Back with another episode soon. And that's it. Ciao.